Hello and welcome to CM Conversations. I'm today's host, Andrew Jack. My role here at CM Industrial is to specialise in recruitment for the hydrogen markets across the globe. In this episode of CM Conversations, I talk to Sean McKinnon, Chief Scientist at Loop Energy. In my conversation with Sean, we discuss the latest news in the hydrogen market, including the important difference between blue, grey and green hydrogen. We also discuss his thoughts on green hydrogen and the impact of this on the environment and the future of the market. Whether you're in the hydrogen market or are becoming more aware of it alongside wider sustainability discussions, there's something in here for everyone. So here it is. I hope you enjoy listening. Hi, Sean. Thanks uh, so much for taking the time to join me today. Um, Firstly, for anyone who doesn't know you, um, could you give us sort of a quick introduction about yourself and and your background? Sure, no problem. Thanks for the invite. Um, My name is uh, Sean McKinnon. I have a PhD in polymer chemistry from Carleton University back in the day, graduated 2001. Um, Spent my first four years in the industry, um, in the fuel cell industry, started Ballard Power Systems uh, from 2001 to 05. I uh, spent a few more years after that with General Motors in their fuel cell activities group in uh, Upper State, New York. Um, and following that, I actually spent a few more years with the National Research Council of Canada as a federal scientist, um, looking at a number of different opportunities within batteries and fuel cell uh, projects. And in the process of doing that, Medic Group, um, uh, Loop Energy uh, became relatively involved with them at an early stage, looking at peer reviews at their technology, et cetera. And since then, I've been kind of since the latter part of 2012, uh, I've uh, kind of moved back to British Columbia. I've been the chief scientist at Loop Energy for the last, uh, uh, well, almost nine years now, I guess. So we've, uh, I've been in the space for about 20 years, um, seen a lot, um, done a little, sometimes done a lot, and, uh, and hopefully, uh, some of the experiences that I've seen and, and, and the literature that I've been aware of over the years might be able to uh, bear some light on some of the topics we'll talk about today. Yeah, perfect. No, thank you for that. It's, it's, it's good because I imagine a lot of people that are um, interested in this field and a lot of people that wear Loop Energy will will know who you are. But yeah, it's good to have um, a quick introduction. And I think obviously with you being the chief scientist at Loop Energy um, at the moment, it'd be good to just find out a little bit more about Loop Energy for anyone that doesn't know um, what you guys do and sort of, yeah, find out a little bit more about what, what it is that you're you're doing across the hydrogen supply chain at the moment. Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, at, at Loop, um, in the early stages, we kind of coined ourselves the Gen 2.0 fuel cell company. We've got a, a pretty solid firepower of uh, subject matter experts uh, from a number of different local companies as well as some companies further away like AFCC, Diamond, Ballard, Ford, General Motors. And what we've done as a group is um, we've taken a novel new technology, uh, a new design, um, and used very similar materials and the same materials that are purchased by everybody else. And we build fuel cell stacks, fuel cell modules, and we help our integrators uh, get those into trucks and buses. And so right now, uh, our main focus is uh, looking at range extender units to extend the range of battery electric heavy duty vehicles in the bus and truck space. Um, and we've been working on this in the background for a number of years, um, but uh, about five, six months ago, we just started our first um, small fleet. So we've actually got 10 uh, buses running now in, okay. in Nanjing, China with our own units in them. So it's not uh, it's not a science fair project. Uh, we're very much uh, pushing product in the, in the open market right now as much as we can. I think, 
a question that always crops up and for people that are involved in hydrogen, I'm sure they get asked the question, but also sort of the wider and just public that are interested in it. I know one of the biggest uh, challenges that the world faces at the moment is global warming and obviously the fight to tackle um, greenhouse gas emissions. Hydrogen has been recognised by governments um, around the world as, as now as a key part of that strategy in reducing the, the day-to-day impacts that we are having on our environment. But I think a question that a lot of people still have is, why hydrogen and maybe why now? Why hydrogen? Why now? It's almost like a question I've been asked almost <laughs> yeah, every year for years to a certain <laughs> point, right? Uh, but the really good thing now is that that what we see in the open market is uh, is as you stated just there, governments are putting policies together. Uh, they have hydrogen strategies that they're publishing now that they did not publish 20 years ago. So we were very aspirational at the beginning of this, trying to get material out, but we were we were governed by um, and other factors that were out of our control. And so, but what's great now is that the world does seem to be moving more towards uh, an electrification. Uh, they're looking at opportunities to electrify. And this is where hydrogen can actually play a very important role for us. Um, it is a, from my perspective, it's a comprehensive solution to a number of different applications in a number of different sectors. If you look at electrification as being the end game to try and get ourselves off of Fossil, fossil fuels and, and, and be better for the environment. When we look at electric only, solar, wind, et cetera, it's very difficult to run a chemical plant with that needs massive amounts of energy to do that or a manufacturing plant to need massive amounts of energy to, to do that. And so hydrogen is a really interesting opportunity for us because not only can it be burned to produce heat in the way we produce steel and aluminum and a number of other major products that we need in our world to advance ourselves. But it can also spontaneously produce electricity when we flow it through a fuel cell system. And that's very important to us because when we flow it through a fuel cell system, we can now operate it at a much higher efficiency. We can operate it at 50 to 60% efficiency or two times what you get out of burning the fuel. And so this op- gives us an opportunity to look at a number of different use cases where um, we may be able to actually reduce the emission footprint for what we currently see today with those existing fuels. It's everywhere. Also, with government backing and we're seeing a reduction in costs just from the amount of um, investment and companies involved in it, it's, yeah, it's, it's going one way. I think one particular area which still confuses people to an extent, obviously not yourself who's involved in it, but maybe people from the outside, when it comes to the color classification, so whether that's um, gray, sure. blue, and green, would you be able to just maybe just briefly explain what, what the main differences are between the, the different colors of hydrogen? Sure. It's, uh, very simply, the gray and, and blue uh, type of, 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 uh, of hydrogen are produced by the same process. And 97%, at least I know for the North American numbers, uh, for your UK viewers, I don't have your values in my head right now, but uh, our listeners, uh, 97% of all the, the uh, hydrogen produced in North America is produced through steam methane reforming. And that's where a methane molecule will react with two more molecules of water to produce four molecules of hydrogen. And so some people tend to leave out the S part in the steam methane in the SMR process, not realizing that we're actually getting some of our hydrogen from water as well, not just the methane that we're using in that initial conversion. But in both of those cases, you can convert anywhere from 70 to 90%, uh, depending on whose system you're using, to produce hydrogen, but you also produce CO2. Carbon comes from the methane, oxygen comes from the water. 
you get one molecule of CO2, four molecules of water. And that CO2 in a gray system is just let go into the atmosphere. There's no abatement. There's no attempt to capture it. There's no attempt to, to sequester it. Blue hydrogen is essentially trying to put an emissions uh, cleanup system on the tailpipe of the folks that are actually making the system, making the, the hydrogen through an SMR system. And they're trying to sequester it and store it. And there are a lot of other nuances to that, how it's being stored, whether it's being stored properly or not being stored properly. So there's a number of nuances to blue that are, are difficult just to say straight away, yes, all blue is great, let's just go. Um, I can give you a very quick example. Um, if you were to capture your CO2 and make tomatoes with it, there's a lot of people like you CO2 in their greenhouses to improve their growth. Uh, you're not really sequestering the CO2, you're just prolonging a little bit of the time it'll take for it to get to the atmosphere. But if you turn it into solids, um, make minerals or make rock from it essentially and bury it deep underground as solid materials, then it has an opportunity to actually be sequestered for very, very long periods of time. So that's where blue comes in. Blue is an attempt to take the existing processes that we have today and try and make them a little bit cleaner in route to something that we would go towards in the future yeah. and that rounds out at green and so green hydrogen um, a lot of folks have kind of announced a look at green hydrogen as being an electrolysis based hydrogen because it doesn't have any emissions it comes from solar and wind um, but it, me personally i prefer renewable hydrogen because uh, renewable hydrogen may come from alternative feedstocks that actually have carbon intensities that are less than, than, than what we have uh, currently, and even potentially better than electrolysis. Because with electrolysis, you're actually, your emissions footprint is 100% dictated by the feedstock, the electricity, the grid. And in some places of the world, that might be 100% green. I'm fortunate here in Canada, in British Columbia, that we have uh, a hydro system, so all of our electricity is pretty much renewable. But if you went to California, for example, 70% of their grid is natural gas driven steam, uh, steam generation. And if you go to somewhere like, for example, West Virginia, it's all coal. So you have three completely different footprints uh, for your electricity profile that will dramatically affect your emissions profile. So that's your, in a nutshell, gray is, is what, we, what we currently use today. Blue is the next iteration to try and make what we do today a little bit better. And, and green is uh, the ultimate solution that we're all trying to get to. And I, th I think that's really important to touch on as well, because I think you see a lot about green or renewable um, hydrogen at the moment, but I don't think sometimes there's quite that knowledge of um, how quickly we can actually produce green hydrogen, how quickly we can actually use that um, as a renewable energy source. Whereas, as you said, blue can certainly be a bridging point of that um, when we can maybe do it now and we can try and reduce the carbon emissions as much as possible with hopefully in the future having the structure to have green hydrogen um, more readily used. Um, and I mean, it, it leads us on quite nicely because I know off air we, we've obviously discussed um, briefly sort of a, a recent New York Times article um, by Hiroko Tabuchi, who, who sort of covered a paper um, that sort of went into blue hydrogen, uh, the Howarth and Jacobson paper. And just, yeah, I, I mean, probably for, for anyone that isn't aware of it, um, they, they sort of made a statement um, saying there really is no role for blue hydrogen in a carbon-free future. Um, and I know from speaking to you and obviously knowing what, what Loop Energy stands on this is that 
there is from, from your side that there certainly is um, a bridging opportunity there. And yeah, it'd be good just to delve into that and sort of get your opinion on, I mean, the article, but also the, the sort of point that they're trying to make. Sure. So I'll, I'll start essentially with the, yeah. the Hayworth and Jacobson article, because that's kind of the catalyst for the New York Times article. But but uh, within that, that initial um, uh, peer-reviewed uh, article, it stands on its own. Um, it's, uh, Loop doesn't necessarily take any, um, any uh, we don't have any issues with that particular article. It was well-researched. Um, they raised very important points about potential hydrogen challenges. Um, yet in the article, specifically, they compared burning natural gas to heat your home versus taking that same amount of natural gas running it through a steam methane reforming process in a blue process, trying to capture the CO2 that'd be coming off of that. And then taking the hydrogen that would be produced from that and burning it in your house for heat. And the values that they were using for comparisons were essentially emissions per BTU of the two materials being burned in that application. And I have no issue with what they've published. There's no problem with their statements from that perspective. They're essentially saying in that application, it would be better off if you had green hydrogen. Uh, and the model that they used was essentially based on adding the fugitive emissions of methane. So the quick, the quick biopsy or the quick skinny there on, on fugitive emissions is that as you move systems, uh, connect and disconnect to move fuels around, you lose a little bit of fuel. Um, and that little bit of fuel can add uh, the methane that comes up is actually quite worse than than quite a bit worse than uh, than, than CO2 for greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, they will hold heat 20 times more than than carbon dioxide will. So from a global warming perspective, methane is much much worse. But the benefit is it doesn't actually have the the uh, the lifetime of the environment that carbon dioxide does. So when we look at the the H and J application or article. Um, at the end of the day, like I said, we don't have any issues with it. The issue we have is when the New York Times art, uh, picked up that article and essentially came out and said, you know, we don't see a path here for why blue would be helpful. The picture they ran with was actually a Toyota Mirai fuel cell being fueled um, at a local station in New York. And when you look at that, there's a bit of a flaw there in that analysis because the New York Times did not consider the efficiency of the end use of that application. And as I said earlier, fuel cells can actually operate between 50 and 60% more efficient than fuel does, uh, or than natural gas or gasoline does. And that's where we have to look at the wells to wheels of, or the cradle to grave of your emissions from where you produce and generate your hydrogen, and then where you use it in the fuel and application. And, and at the end of the day for us, uh, the leap that the New York Times made um, essentially made fuel cells look like they're not part of the solution until we have a green grid or we have a full green hydrogen opportunity. And the fact is that there are many opportunities where, and it's not me that's just saying this, it's uh, Argonne National Lab, National Re Renewable Energy Labs, and the USDU. We have done their studies as well to say actually, in fact, that there, there are opportunities here where um, you can reduce uh, your global footprint and your emissions profile on a per mile basis 
when you run that system through a fuel cell or run that high, blue or gray hydrogen through that fuel cell. Yeah, and it's really interesting because I, I think you, you don't see a lot of discussions around blue and especially gray because it's seen as maybe a little bit of a taboo because everyone wants to talk about the green and they don't Absolutely. want to talk about the, the the sort of alternatives, which I think it, it can be a little bit of an oversight. Um, and I think from the discussions I've had with you, but also other people that certainly the, the aim is to have carbon-free um, emissions as soon as possible. Um, and yeah, the quicker we get there, the better, regardless of sort of how we, we go about that. Yeah, we, we see it too as a, um, in order for us to get to a fully green hydrogen, renewable hydrogen production on a global scale that essentially, you know, quote unquote, replaces SMR or as the, as the large com- component or, or the, the, main, the main way we would be making hydrogen instead of SMR. We need demand. Putting these green megawatt systems in place is massive capital, and people will not put the capital in place until they see the demand for that fuel on the other side. And so our our perspective here right now is we need to take as much of the hydrogen that we can out of the feedstocks that are available to us today at a good price and look at opportunities where in a wells to wheels application or a cradle to grave application, we are better than the incumbent technology in producing uh, energy, uh, movement of goods, movement of people um, with a lower carbon footprint. And if we can do that with the fuels today, the good part about that is those same fuels won't be used in a combustion form. And so we'll actually be abating maybe half of the emissions that they would normally be going through in the current process that they'd be running. And so we really need to push hard to try and get as many fuel cell and electric vehicles and and stationary and portable power and just and independent fuel cells, just other opportunities where hydrogen can be used in a more efficient fashion versus the incumbent technology that is currently in place. And so going back to the Howard and uh, Hayward and uh, Hayworth and Jacobson article, Maybe heating your home might not be the exact one you want to do today, but maybe heating your home sometime next year or two years from now or four years from now might make perfect sense because we've got enough demand and enough green starting. Yeah, and that's something that I want to touch on as well because with um, obviously renewable, whether whether it was coming from the um, sort of wind or solar farms, how quickly sort of from from Loop Energy's point of view and sort of what you're seeing in the market, realistically, how quickly is it likely that we're, we're going to be able to adopt green hydrogen and move away maybe from a blue or a gray hydrogen? That's a really tough question, to be honest. Um, I'd, I'd love to open my crystal ball and say, I want it next year, I want it next week, I want it today. Uh, the reality is um, putting capital in place like that takes time. Um, I, I wouldn't, uh, and, and, the, and the, but the great news is what I'm seeing in the market now is just about every week, there's an announcement of another green hydrogen plant being uh, considered or a bid went in that it was successful. And so it's hard to keep track right now, actually, of, of all the ones that were around the world. Yeah. And, and I think the good news there is that um, it may actually happen a lot quicker than we think. And uh, one of the, the early components of that may be trying to find opportunities where hydrogen is actually already being produced as a byproduct of another process that we can clean it up and bring it in quickly because we we do need to bridge the gap before we achieve a full green solution we do need to bridge the gap with alternative ways to use hydrogen to build that demand so i do think that uh, electrolysis is happening 
Um, there are many fuel cell companies that are vertically integrating with, ele with electrolyzers as well to help that process to just be a better value add to their customers. Um, and then at the same time, like you mentioned at the beginning, uh, many of the governments are putting in uh, policies and strategies in place to support the work. Um, but as we all know, when a big industry and big government involved, they don't tend not to move as quickly as we would like them to. And so if I look back at the fuel cell space, um, you know, we've been, we'll have cars on the road in three years, we'll have cars on the road in five years. That, that mantra has been going on for quite some time now, but uh, it's, I, I, it, I don't want to contribute to that from the green hydrogen perspective. It's really hard to, 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 to make those, uh, those uh, uh, predictions, but at the same time, I am very, very happy and I'm now hopeful that we're actually heading in the right direction based on the fact that from a global perspective, I am seeing many more countries and government entities actually pushing for this to happen because they're being supported by their own local scientists and, and, uh, and engineers that are telling them that, yeah, we can do this. And it looks like it's time that we can actually do this. So yeah, I'll, I'll finish with that little piece on, on this part, but um, from the fuel cell side of things, the technology is ready, it's available and we can do this. We just need to scale it up and go. So really we're just, we're missing the, the push right now to actually go. And, and, and like I said earlier, I'm, I'm hopeful because I'm starting to see that push. Um, and now it's just a question of, well, how quickly can we get that done if we're actually gonna do that? And, and that's, the, that's the part where hopefully we can go as fast as possible. Um, and, but it's conversations around, um, you know, you, you look at the space and you say, oh, that's not carbon neutral, so we shouldn't do it. We need to look at it and say, what technology is it replacing? And is it better than what we're replacing? If it is, yes, let's do it. Can the fuel provider provide something at a, a higher cost? Because you know maybe selling hydrogen to the public is a little bit, uh, they might get a little bit more money out of that than selling it to another business. Uh, can the user of the of the hydrogen on the other end run things more cheaply if they can the fuel provider is making more money the end users make is saving more money and the environment is getting less emissions put into the uh put into its atmosphere so i think that's a win-win-win and any opportunity we can find with those will help us to push forward as fast as possible yeah def definitely and i think i think they're all really great points and something that i'd like to touch on as well because i think from my point of view the working within this this talent market and sort of dealing with companies and speaking with candidates it's it's moving very quickly at the moment which is a good sign um there's a, there's a lot of movement now from maybe traditional what i would say maybe typical oil and gas companies where people are trying to now jump into hydrogen positions or just renewable energy positions as a whole and i think i think that's only a good sign um i think it's the way that we're going and also companies are going as well whether they are traditional oil and gas or very innovative hydrogen uh, focused organizations like loop energy um i think it is only a positive step um and yeah hopefully um we'll all the whole world will run off greener energy sooner rather than later absolutely yeah yeah and and, and it is it's where we need to be you know we we need to um we talk about net zero i don't think net zero should be looked at application by application it needs to be looked at holistically and so we need to try and figure out, we know how much we're putting up in the atmosphere because we know how much fuel we're producing every year. And if we say all that fuel is being consumed, then we know what's coming out on the other end. Uh, we need to find technologies that both abate that, that sequester it, and that also find ways to pull it out of the atmosphere. And if we can get ourselves into that space where what we're putting up from fossil and what we're taking out of the atmosphere from renewable sources 
uh, or evading uh, the, the emissions from the fossil side of it. When those two are equal, we're now at net zero. And we're now back at equilibrium with our planet as opposed to just taking energy from eons ago and pumping it in the atmosphere right now. And, and, and the planet just doesn't have the mechanisms to absorb it. And where it is absorbing it, it's not great because we're acidifying our oceans and we're doing, because the ocean is essentially the main, the main place where our CO2 ends up. And so as soon as we start uh, adding more of the ocean, uh, it becomes a very difficult conversation um, because a lot of what we do depend on what's in that ocean for us. Yeah. I mean, from my side, I hope that hydrogen is very much part of that mix moving forward and it will be a very strong um, element when we, when we talk about renewable energy and green energy as a whole. Um, But yeah, I mean, thank you for your time, Sean. I think that probably rounds it off quite well. Um, And yeah, I appreciate you you taking the time to speak with us and it's it's been really interesting. I'm sure for, for our audience, it'll be, yeah, very eye-opening yeah if if i could just have one takeaway that anybody would take from this it would be cradle to grave wells to wheels just look at the whole opportunity and identify where you can abate those emissions yeah and if you can take 20 or 40 percent out today it's better than not doing it yeah and 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 that's how we see it as a bridging technology to having 100 percent of it gone completely agree with you so yeah um again thanks second time to speak to sean So that was my CM conversation with Sean McKinnon, Chief Scientist at Loop Energy. I'd like to thank Sean for his time and the insight he provided. I hope anyone else out there who is involved or interested in the hydrogen market could gain something insightful from Sean's wise and interesting perspective on the industry's current position. If you'd like to listen, read or watch any more of my content focused on the hydrogen market, then please go to searchingindustrial.com. And for more podcasts like this, about the talent markets that Charlton Morris serve, please subscribe to CM Conversations. Thank you for listening. I've been your host, Andrew Jack. Bye for now.